you and I are both pretty polite, um, verging on doormat people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Is there anything that you like you love it so much you wouldn't stand on ceremony? You just say, I want this, we're doing this, give me this. I mean, you know I've done this before. Do you know I've thrown all caution to the wind for ice cream? Yes, I did. <laughs> I, I'll be honest, I wrote that question knowing the answer. <laughs> are we going to get ice cream now and quit the podcast? <laughs> I'll drive out to where you are and get ice cream with you if you want. It's like 10 o'clock at night in January. No. <sighs> you ruin everything. But you know what? Thank you for being brave and asking it without any ceremony. I don't know. I go feral when I think of ice cream. <laughs> You really, it's really crazy. What about you, Emily? Is there anything you'd uh, go feral for? Uh, not Like, it's no one particular thing. But if I'm really in the mood for something, you, it's always food related, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm closer with <laughs> we, food than I'm with people. We, yeah, like, we have so few joys in life. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. <laughs> and eating Chinese food when you're really in the oh, mood for man. Chinese food? Are we going to get lo mein right now, Emily, instead of doing this podcast? <laughs> Maybe, but you know what? Let's do the podcast just in okay. case. <laughs> Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Emily Moyers and Kyle Imperator take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. Hey everybody, welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Oh, I'm Kyle Imperator. Oh, I'm Emily Moyers. Oh, and we're going to do a word for you today, I think, if Emily's brought one and some I have ice cream. brought one. No, I don't okay. have any ice cream, all right? Stop mm -hmm. asking. Okay. I do have a word for you, though. Kyle, your word is axismus. A-C-C-I-S-M-U-S. Axismus. Oh, uh, yeah, Emily. it's like the worst possible pronunciation you could get from those letters. <laughs> it's like I bring words to this podcast and you get them and you're like, that's a word. I've never <laughs> heard of that word before, but that's a word. You bring words to this podcast and I'm like, has this ever been pronounced before by a human? Is some sort of, uh, you know, deity going to come and uh, destroy our universe now? Exismus. Yeah, Exismus. <laughs> the great yeah. and powerful. Oh, God, Exismus. Yeah. Well, all right. So I'm trying to formulate something here. I'm going to guess it's from Latin Greek. Do you want to land on one or the other? Uh, a, a gr Greek? Yeah, ultimately Greek, but yeah, we got through Greek. Latin. So you're, yeah. you're right. And if, if aflatus is anything to go <laughs> on, I, is this a noun? It is a noun. Can it be used in other ways? I dare you. <laughs> no, it's just a noun. Okay, God. It's so like just a gut reaction. It's yeah, like, hit me. You know, someone's like, that's just miss. I just want to say that you look beautiful today. <laughs> That's not it, but I love it. Okay. 
<laughs> Unless it's in front of me speaking to me, in which <laughs> yeah, case yeah, yeah, I yeah, hate yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I am, I am gonna need a hint. Uh, yeah, I think this might, this might help you get in the realm. The clue I have for you is rhetoric. Not even helpful, Emily. <laughs> Zero out of ten. <laughs> I, I, you're the worst partner to have on password. <laughs> Rhetoric. 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 Okay, okay, okay. So, like, the axe in exismus, I'm thinking accident. I'm thinking accelerate. I'm thinking, uh, uh, ask me a question, why don't you? I'm thinking, Morty, I did it. It's me. Rhetoric. <laughs> okay, is this... Like you got it, Kyle. I know you do. Words that one uses mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. are like the first words out of your mouth. Ooh, I like that thought, but no. Uh, but I do. I like it. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah. Exismus is the feigned refusal of something earnestly desired. I have needed a word for this <laughs> my entire. Life. Yeah. So like, no, no, no. No, I couldn't possibly. Really, yes. A good example that listeners might be familiar with is the SNL sketch 1920s Party, in which Kristen Wiig's (laughs) character repeatedly insists, don't make me sing. sing. (laughs) Don't make me sing. Don't make me sing. And one and the two. (laughs) Yeah, you got it. That would be an example. And the of three and the four. Don't make me sing. So <laughs> good. So that's an example of an exismus. I would say it's an example of exismus. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh my God. Tell me more, Emily. So listen, I like to start with a little etymology. Okay. Sure. You know, it feels like it's what grounds us in this podcast. Yeah. It's the only, it's the glue holding us together, holding our <laughs> friendship <right>. together. <laughs> So the English word exismus was directly borrowed from the Neo-Latin achismus, spelled the same, just pronounced different. That was derived from the Hellenistic Greek achismos with Ks instead of Cs Mm. and an O instead of a U, which is a noun meaning coyness, affection, or coquetry, which Ah. I've learned is the noun for being a coquette. A coquette, yeah. Being coquettish is coquetry. Coquetry. I know her. <laughs> Coquetry. She's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> she is the worst. You can never get a straight answer out of her. <laughs> no, absolutely. She just bats her eyelashes and giggles. <laughs> Teehee. I'll never tell. <laughs> so the achismos in turn was derived from the ancient Greek achizethai. Uh, which is a verb meaning to act indifferent, to act ignorant, to act shocked, or to be coy. This is all good. Yeah. It's like all sort of near at hand. It's yeah. like dancing around the same thing of like acting like you don't care. Yeah, absolutely. The root in all of these words is akko, A-K-K-O. The most common translation for that root that I found is that it refers to a sort of boogeyman or ghost or goblin used to frighten children oh god which seems very out of left field but it was cited in the oed and on a modern greek and latin language resource called logeon 
and in a more classical Greek-English lexicon by Liddell and Scott from 1843. All of them say that it means that, which is crazy to me. (laughs) What's the name of it again? Akko, A-K-K-O. Akko. Is is like a Greek root. I mean, is it like a monster that pretends to be something it's not little all i could find was that it's a it's a monster used to frighten children that was the extent that any of these resources said about it emily you've stumbled upon some sort of (laughs) cthulhu like mystery (laughs) that's right the fact that there's no description of this demon (laughs) makes it scarier (laughs) yes but here's the thing is there's not I don't know for sure if it means that because other sources did say different things. Oh, okay. So the 1823 Encyclopedia Britannica says that Akko is, quote, the name of a foolish old woman noted in antiquity for an affectation of this kind, meaning oh, okay. Akismus. So it was like an old woman Exismus. who acted like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> and the, the foolish woman definition is also listed in Liddell and Scott's Greek-English lexicon and in other 1800s Greek and Latin dictionaries. I have a quote from one in particular, the Lexicon Greco-Latinum by Johann Scapula. Oh, <gasps> wow. <laughs> he says that Akko refers to, and I'm <laughs> roughly translating from Latin here. Uh-huh. A certain woman known for her stupidity, who is accustomed to converse with her image in the mirror, as well as with other women. Oh. Which is a little rough. Well, I'm glad that she conversed with other women. (laughs) As well as her own reflection. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds like she needs to get out more. Yeah, so the, the Wikipedia article I was looking at sort of synthesized and made less horrifying that definition to mean idle occupation, like the things you might do if you were pretending not to care or if you didn't care. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. But I don't know if that's true. That's just what this person said. I mean, what is truth at this point? Now we that don't Akko know. has been summoned into know. this <laughs> the, plane one, of the existence. The most cited meaning I found was a boogeyman, so I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> yeah, so that's the etymology. But let's talk about the meaning. So, exismus is a rhetorical device, a rhetorical oh, okay, strategy. Right. Yeah. More specifically, it is a type of irony. Oh, okay. Irony, notoriously difficult to define. Do you want to take a crack at that, Kyle? Uh, yeah. Is that it's what your clothes look like after you steam them? I literally, I knew you were going to make that joke. Teehee, teehee, teehee. <laughs> oh, you coquette. <laughs> um irony is i mean yeah it is hard to define it is it's literally any definition you read it's like that's not what it is (laughs) it's it's the intentional opposite for comedic effect yeah that's good that's a good definition yeah yeah so the oed defines it as the expression of one's meaning by using language that normally signifies the opposite typically for humorous or emphatic effect yeah that to me that sounds more like a definition of sarcasm. I mean, aren't but they sarcasm the same? is a type of irony. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> You're telling me sarcasm is a rectangle, but irony's a square. Yeah. No. The other way around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exismus and sarcasm are squares because they're nerds. <laughs> <laughs> but irony is the rectangle. 
Okay, all right. I like Wikipedia's definition of irony better. Wikipedia says it is the juxtaposition of what on the surface appears to be the case and what is actually the case, which is a definition that doesn't really describe irony the way that we use it, but I think it is like the oldest and purest definition of the word. Yeah. A little just sidetrack into irony here. Um, Our English word is derived from, surprise, surprise, a Greek word, aeronea, which actually comes from a stock character in old Greek comedy. Interesting. Yeah. That was like ironic, I guess. So the aeron, E-I-R-O-N, which I'm going to say the iron. Mm-hmm. is a character who succeeds by self-deprecating, by understating, by acting less intelligent than he is. And he is the classic opponent or cast in opposition to the Alazon or the braggart character. Oh, is Alazonic mean? I, I guess. Braggadocious. <laughs> I have a hilarious example of these two oh, characters in action. Please tell me. It is from a play called The Frogs by classic Greek <gasps> playwright Aristophanes. Yes, I Are you know. familiar? I'm familiar with The Frogs in a couple ways. but T- uh, uh, Tell us. Well, it's mentioned in The Pirates of Penzance, the croaking oh. chorus from The Frogs of Aristophanes. But wow. also, it's a been adapted into a musical by none other than Stephen Sondheim. That's insane. I didn't and know Nathan that. And Nathan Lane. Stephen Sondheim wrote it when he was in college. And it was just for like some of his college friends. Nathan Lane came across it l- later in life in like the year in like 2000 and was like, this is so great. But there was no like copies of it. So he rewrote it himself. Oh. And oh adapted it so that it would be brought to Broadway. It's a good, it's a cute musical. That's fun. So do you know yeah. like the basic plot of the Greek play? Yeah, it's about a guy who has to go to Hades to bring someone back for some reason, right? Yeah. So in the classic play, Dionysus, yes, that Dionysus, yes, is going to bring, I think, Euripides back from Hades. Uh, did we make a joke about uh, Taylor the last time we brought up Euripides? <laughs> I don't know if we've ever brought up I, Euripides. Let her, let her rip, Kyle. I saw where, I've heard this joke before. Maybe it was, did Arna give us this joke? Euripides? Eumenides. <laughs> I don't know where I've heard that joke before. So, but uh, Dionysus recruits to, to go with him to Hades, Hercules. Uh, yes, that Hercules. Yes, 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 yes. So the scene I have a, a little snippet of is a scene in which Dionysus is talking to Hercules. I think he's for, he like goes to Hercules' house and is like, hey, you should come with me. Dionysus is the Alazon of the play, but he is accompanied by his slave, Xanthius, who is yes. the Iron. Dionysus is boasting about his, and by extension, Xanthius's naval service. And Hercules says, were you at that sea battle? And Dionysus says, yes, and sunk enemy ships, 12 or 13 of them. Hercules says, just the two of you? Dionysus says, yes, by Apollo, we did. Xanthius says, then I woke up. <laughs> that's in the actual ancient Greek play? Yeah, I mean, that's like roughly translated. translated but that is yes. so funny. <laughs> this is like, yeah, it is dreams. <laughs> wow. So uh, the iron is the original 
comic relief. Yes. Literally, truly, yes. (laughs) Wow. So good. Yeah. I love that so much, Emily. (laughs) So getting back to exismus. Mm-hmm. A type of irony, but also, just in general, a very polite thing to do. Yeah. We talked about it at the top, but uh, do you feel like this is something that you do? Uh, pretend that you don't want something that you do to be nice? Yeah. I've gotten to the point where I feel like I've exismused myself into believing <laughs> that I just don't want anything good for myself. <laughs> yeah. You know? I, I feel like we do it to excess. Yeah. To to unhealthiness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it makes you feel less guilty about how you live your life, you know? Yeah, yeah. At the expense of irritating everyone around you because yeah, you never no, say what you want. <laughs> I, I meant at when you convince yourself that you actually meant it, it oh. makes you feel better about ruining your own life for not oh. getting what you want. Sad. That's exismus, baby. (laughs) It is. Susie Dent, Emily's favorite lexicographer, has a passage about exismus in her 2022 book, Words from the Heart. She talks about how exismus was for centuries a very important social convention, kind of going along with those high society virtues of modesty and restraint and never showing anything. (laughs) It's like when, you know you're out to eat and someone's like i'll pay and it's like no 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 i'll pay no i'll pay yeah neither of them want to pay you do that little (laughs) check dance yeah 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 she cites a quote from 19th century german writer jean-paul friedrich richter who she says quote both venerated and patronized women richter writes in his 1866 book lavana a woman requires no figure of eloquence so often as that of exismus. On this account, mothers, fathers, men, and even youths are their best companions. On the contrary, girls connected with other girls of a similar age provoke one another to an exchange of foibles rather than of excellences, to a love of dress, admiration, and gossip, even to the forgetting of exismus. The highest of crimes. <laughs> the highest. <laughs> Mortal. Um, wow. 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 Yeah. So it was something particularly expected of women for a very long time. Uh, yeah. Uh, oof. Huh? <laughs> oof is right. Yeah. But not just of women. It is also just a sign of humility that any prominent figure might like to show. I read another passage about exismus in Mark Forsythe's 2013 book, The Horologicon, <gasps> which is a fun book. But you shouldn't look at it, Kyle, because it's full of words I might pull for the podcast. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Forsyth, fun fact, quotes the exact same Jean-Paul passage that I just read. But he also talks about exismus in the context of the Church of England and appointing bishops. And Kyle, okay. I would love if you would read this quote just so there's less oh. of me reading. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cold read right. from Kyle right now. Even if you secretly think that you'd make a splendid bishop and would look marvelous in a mitre, you can't just come out and say it. It would look bad. So you had to practice a little bit of exismus by announcing in front of the assembled company of churchmen that you'd really rather not become a bishop. Or, in Latin, nolo episcopari, when you had solemnly announced this rather than saying, oh well, that's that, I suppose, the church council would ask you a second time, and for a second time you would humbly reply, nolo episcopari. On the third go, you would say, 
Oh, all right then, go on. Or Volo Episcopari, or some such line of ascent. So I will just say, I tried looking into this practice. I couldn't find a ton about it. I think it's more of a mythical tradition than an actual practice in the Church of England. But I don't know that for sure. And it is a hilarious image. (laughs) Truly, like the idea of these bishops be like, no, 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 no. Of course, I don't want to be the Pope. I couldn't pause it. Don't make me be bishop, please. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. All that paperwork. (laughs) Don't make me sing. (laughs) Don't make me sing. (laughs) <laughs> and then on the third time pulls off his robes and he's got the In sparkly dress. red dress that the fairy godmother from Shrek wears that's right little microphone I need a hero <laughs> right that's what she sings yes but speaking of on the third time Forsyth does go on to warn potential bishops oh it is dreadfully important to keep count, as if you said Nolo Episcopari a third time, it would be assumed that you really meant it and your chances of promotion would be forever scuppered. Hope as you might, three cases of exismus are definitive, and after that, you deserve a slap. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. So it is important to just, you just refuse twice. On the third time, yeah. you do need to yeah. rip off and have a beautiful gown underneath. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good lesson for any bout of exismus, you know? That's right. That's right. And you can see this mistake borne out in the Shakespeare play, oh. Julius oh. Caesar. Oh, oh. Yeah. He gets stabbed 27 times because he said... <laughs> No, too many times. <laughs> well, no, I think he gets stabbed 27 times because he said yes. But oh, yeah. there is a scene in Julius Caesar, which we don't see on stage, but is retold by the character Casca. Casca describes towards the beginning of the play how Caesar, he's like, come home from war. And everybody's like, yo, he won. And we love Caesar. And he's the best. And he is offered rulership of Rome. Mark Antony like offers him, you, do you want to be emperor of Rome? And Caesar refuses not one, not two, but three times. Too many according to Mark Forsyth. And I'll read this one, Kyle. I won't make sure. you cold read Shakespeare. Please. <clears throat> I saw Mark Antony offer him a crown. And as I told you, he put it by once for all that to my thinking, he would fain have had it. Then he offered it to him again and he put it by again. But to my thinking, he was very loath to lay his fingers off it. And then he offered it the third time. He put it the third time by and still as he refused it, the rabblemen hooted and clapped their chopped hands and threw up their sweaty nightcaps and uttered such a deal of stinking breath because Caesar refused the crown that it had almost choked Caesar for he swooned and fell down on it. What was that about stinking breath? (laughs) Well, here's the thing. So, and rabbleman. So so he's like in front of this big audience and what Casca says, it looked like the rabblemen was cheering so much that their stinking breath made Caesar faint. That's so funny. Later, Casca it gives you a little bit more insight. Basically, what happened is Caesar, practicing his exismus, refuses the crown. He wants to look good, humble in front of the crowd, noble ruler, but he refuses too many times. And the crowd's like, ah, we love him for not wanting to be emperor. What a good guy. So he pretends to faint. And then when he comes to, he's like, whoa, if I said anything weird before I fainted, just ignore it because oh I wasn't my in God. my right mind. So funny. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Wow, I don't recall remembering. <laughs> Literally just pulled one of those. <laughs> he said, did I say anything? No, I don't think I did. 
so funny. So I don't know, Kyle, what do you think is more effective? Two refusals and an acceptance or three refusals and a swoon? I mean, that last one sounds pretty effective, but also dicey. <laughs> dicey as in he got diced halfway through the play? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He re- he really played with how many times I can say no before they'll yeah. stop asking. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I have one last thing, Kyle. Mm-hmm. As opposed to politely declining something being offered to you, exismus can also refer to pretending not to care about something you can't have. Oh, sure, sure, sure. An off-cited example in that context is the Aesop fable, The Fox and the Grapes. Do you know this one? Um, I think I, I sang was not a song in with it. college that was based on that. Yeah? I yeah. mean, it is it is a famously concise Aesop fable, so it might have been the whole thing just in a song. Yeah. I, remind me. Oh, well, actually, I can just read it to you because it's that no, short. Please. <laughs> Driven by hunger, a fox tried to reach some grapes hanging high on the vine, but was unable to, although he leaped with all his strength. As he went away, the fox remarked, Oh, you aren't even ripe yet. I don't need any sour grapes. So funny. <laughs> is that where we get sour grapes from? It is. Oh, This my fable God. has given rise to the phrase sour grapes, which I think is like more of a British thing, but we still do say it here. Yeah. Which basically refers to someone being bitter because they didn't get what they want. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. And that's like a type of exismus. It is. It is a type of exismus. That is so great. Yeah. But Kyle, I'm hoping this word is not sour grapes to you. I'm hoping I have brought it well within your reach. It's quite the opposite. It is in my reach and I won't be coy about how much I love this word. (laughs) I'm glad. Well, maybe in your non-coquetry, can -hmm. you use exismus in a sentence? Uh, Let's see if I can. It's a hard one. It's a hard one. It is. It's a little more niche, but it's a good one. Yeah. Um, hmm. Uh, Today on this podcast, I asked Emily twice... If she wanted to stop the podcast to get ice cream with me. And I'm hoping that on the third time I ask, her exismus will be revealed and that she will want to go get ice cream with me and that will turn the podcast recording device off immediately. And when I don't, Kyle will show exismus because he didn't get what he wants, but he'll pretend he doesn't care. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) great sense kyle (laughs) thank you emily great word exismus is such a freaking good word emily i'm so glad it really is it's like perfect i'm so excited to have this in my lexicon nice kyle do you want to play a game no are you sure you don't want to play a game yeah i'm sure don't you want to play a game okay i can play a little game (gasps) perfect (laughs) all right kyle the game i have for you is friends countrymen and others (laughs) love it (laughs) so Many rhetorical terms, we've talked about a few of them on this podcast, many of them, like exismus, come from ancient Greek, but not all of them do. Oh. So for this game, I'm going to give you a word bank of rhetorical devices. 
I'm going to give you the English terms, but they do all come from other languages, except one, which is a red herring. So I'm going to give you four terms in your word bank. I will give you the meanings of three of them, and you can try to tell me what term is what. Gotcha. Yep, yep, yep. So your word bank is staircase wit, diphrasism, wellerism, and goblet word. Those are all rhetorical devices. I think I've heard of Wellerism before, but I don't know if I would recognize it. So <laughs> let's let's hear them. All right, Kyle. The first one that I am going to clue you to is this Spanish-derived term refers to a figure of speech in Mesoamerican languages in which two separate words are paired together to create a metaphor. I mean, if that's not diphrasism, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, that one was the easiest one to yeah, get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is diphrasism, or in Spanish, difrasismo. An example of that would be the Nahuatl word atlachinoli, I think oh. is how you say it. I'm not fluent. But that is a combination of the words for water and for burnt earth, but together they metaphorically refer to war. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And they have a bunch of words like that in Nahuatl and other Mesoamerican languages. That's fun. That's good. All right. So you got one right. Next one I have is a Chinese-derived term that refers to fluid language that maintains equilibrium across shifting meanings, enabling one to go along with all sides of an argument. And I'll be honest, I'm quoting that directly from other people's explanations of this term because I barely understand it. I I mean, it's, Wellerism sounds like it would make sense here, but I don't know if that's it. I'm going to take a leap of faith and guess staircase wit. It is not. It is goblet word. Wow. Okay. Yeah. What the heck? <laughs> Xi Yan, Z-H-I-Y-A-N, which I think literally is like the word for goblet and the word for word. Word. Coined in a Taoist text called the Shuangzi, which says... Quote, goblet words pour forth every day and harmonize within the framework of nature. That's really as much as I can explain it to you because I don't understand it any more than that. (laughs) All right. Cool. Great. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Last one. Okay. This term derives from a story told by 18th century French essayist Denis Diderot and refers to the predicament of thinking of the perfect reply too late. Oh, is that staircase wit? It is staircase wit. Yeah. Or in French, l'esprit de l'escalier. The spirit of the staircase. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Diderot describes a situation when he was at a gathering that was like upstairs in a townhouse and got in an argument, but was absolutely struck dumb by something someone said to him. And he didn't think of a response until he was at the bottom of the stairs leaving the house. (laughs) I mean, that's that's a good term to have because that is something that everybody faces. Truly, like it is a thing that you didn't know you needed a word for, but we absolutely all do. (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. Yep. So that is staircase, staircase wit, wit. Love when that. it comes to you too late. That's great. Wellerism, I yeah. will just tell you, is an eponym, actually. Yeah, yeah, From yeah, yeah. a Pickwick Papers character, Sam yes. Weller. Yes, yes. It refers to basically using a cliche in a way that doesn't work to make fun of that cliche. So an example oh. would be, a body can get used to anything, even to being hanged. 
I'm sorry, what now? So like there's an expression you could say like, oh, you know, the body can adjust to anything to me. Like if you go, like if you move to a cold oh, place, you'll get used to I it. Gotcha. If you whatever. I gotcha. But if you were going to like put that to extremes to prove that it doesn't work, you'd say a body can get used to anything, even to being hanged. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think I do Wellerism naturally. I didn't know <laughs> that it was. Now I'm, do. I'm learning a perspective <laughs> that you could live without Wellerism. <laughs> Yeah, in Kyle's world, you can't say anything without him ruining it. <laughs> yep, that's me. That's Kyle. And uh, my form of staircase wit is when I fall down the stairs and everyone <laughs>, laughs at me. Kyle. Emily, I've learned so many things on your oh. episode today. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had a good time. I tried. I love when you bring uh, rhetoric to the podcast because I know yeah, there's so much knowledge in store for me, you know? Well, yeah, that's that's the Greeks for you. <laughs> that's the- them's the Greeks. <laughs> <sighs> oh boy. Hey, listen, everybody. Remember that you can find Butter No Parsnips on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast and on TikTok at Butter No Parsnips. And if you liked today's episode, consider giving us a five-star rating or review wherever you heard us. And if you really liked today's episode, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips. Donating $5 or more earns you a shout-out either on social media or right here on the podcast. Thanks so much to all of you. You help us make what we make. And with that, I've been Emily Moyers. And I've been Kyle Imperator, and this has been Butterno Parsnips. Butterno Parsnips is produced by Seth Glicksman, Kyle Imperator, and myself, Emily Moyers. The main theme and accompanying themes were composed by Kyle Imperator.